0: Hello and welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast that delivers tasty interviews over fascinating food and the other way round, too, as it happens. Today, we're headed back home to order a takeaway, as this was recorded in the heights of lockdown. I'm breaking bread and sharing fish and chips with comedian, writer and presenter, Joe Brand.
1: As Paris Hilton says, only fat people drink Diet Coke, and that's what I'm drinking. Cheers. (laughs) Spot on there, Paris.
0: Hello, Derek. So there's a, there's a chippy on um, Half Moon Lane I know called Ken's. Ken's. We know Ken's. So I, um, bit, a bit of background, I wrote a book about my last meal on Earth, did a whole chapter on chips. It begins with my top five chip experiences. And number one is Ken's. because Oh, brilliant. And as a result of that, there was a Netflix show um, called uh, Somebody Feed Phil, which is this guy, Phil Rosenthal, who created Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, and, you know, right, yeah. And he wanted me in the London... And he wanted to take me to a Ponzi middle-class chippy, and I said, no, if you're going to have chips, you have to... You have fish and chips, you have to come to Ken's. So I got this whole huge Hollywood film crew on the corner of Half Moon Lane outside Ken's, and it's, it's on Netflix, so you can see it.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah well, funnily enough, I thought it was going to be Ollie's, but um, just because we have a sort of vague connection... Have you got a dish named after you on the wall at Ollie's? <laughs> no, I know Scylla has... Yes, in a blacksmith. But I haven't. No, I've just got my picture on the wall. But I did. I had a brilliant experience in there one night because this woman kept staring at me and she kept saying, Don't tell me, don't tell me. And I went, All right. And she just pointed at me and went, Dawn Saunders. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so she fused Dawn and Jennifer together to make me, which I was very flattered by. Oh hang on there they are, there they are. I'm just gonna go and say hello or it won't be sacked. Hooray!
0: <laughs> Hooray! Yes, so, it um, arrived. Ken turned up.
1: Ken did turn up, yes. I know Ken very
0: well. So you should have fish and chips and we I believe dispatched be an extra portion of chips for
1: for Eliza, yeah, thank you so yeah.
0: much. I no, absolute pleasure. And um, I threw in, uh, I don't know whether you like pickled eggs, but I threw one in just for chips and giggles, and maybe some mushy peas.
1: No, well, I've got um, gherkins and pickled onions as well, so that's lovely. Excellent. Perfect.
0: Um, the Great British Bake Off, extra slice. Yeah. Um, it looks like fun. It looks like you're having fun while you're doing I don't think you can fake that stuff. Is it a good gig? Yeah, it's it's my,
1: it's one of my favourite ones I've ever done. Um, And I think um, what, what to me makes a huge difference is that you sort of have an ally on the show that you really get on with and love. And um, the producer's called Jo Bunting. And you may know her because she does do some sort of comedy stuff on the radio from time to time. And she also does Have I Got News For You. And she's such a laugh that I just feel kind of at home with her in my ear abusing me and saying things like, don't be shit today. And, you know, um, and also I'm really, really fond of Tom and I'm really fond of of the crew and the people that we have on the show are always nice and the audience love being there. They're so excited to be there. that It's just, there's so much excitement and it's great.
0: And when you throw to Tom Tom Allen, who's your sort of co-host out in the
1: audience, is that a moment when you sit back and watch what he's going to do? Oh, yeah. I love what Tom does because he's kind of like a sort of modern day Kenneth Williams in a way. He absolutely slags them rotten about their cakes, but they love it. You know, the worse, the better. So I think his his bits are absolutely brilliant. Yeah.
0: Was the pleasure you take in that show one of the reasons why, you know, I don't know even if it was offered or considered, but when um, a vacancy popped up because Sandy stood down from Great British Bake Off, people went, oh, will it be Joe, Will it be that you didn't oh, no, really no, want they, it?
1: No, they never offered it to me. But um, I think someone asked me if they offered it to you, would you take it? I, I think it's a bit of a poison chalice because I prefer sort of paddling around in the fringes rather than once, once I'm the major attraction, I get kind of, I don't like that, you know. Well, it's like BBC One, a Saturday night or, you know, something sort of too populist. I'm not popular enough for enough people to like me. And <clears throat> in a way, that's what I like. I wouldn't want to be constrained by the rules of polite society to think I can't do what I want. You,
0: you did once say that you wouldn't mind having a crack at being prime minister.
1: Oh, uh, that's different.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back. I mean, you said that your, your teenage years were complicated. Um, and at one point you ran off with somebody that would have been known to your mother as a social worker, they probably had an eight-foot file
1: on him. Yeah, exactly.
0: You moved out, when you? how old were you when you moved into a bedsit in Hastings?
1: I was just 17, I think. And they said to me, they gave me kind of an ultimatum, they said either stop seeing him or move out, because I think they just couldn't stand it any longer. They were so stressed out by following me in and out of pubs and weird characters turning up on the doorstep and I remember like one I had one friend down the road and one day we went to the chemist and we we heard that you could get a real hit off um they actually used to have cigarettes for asthmatics I don't know if you remember those they had (laughs) benzodrine in them so we made a pot of tea with them and um, we were around at her house and we, we drank it and nothing happened. So we both went home and then her mum phoned up my mum and said that she tried to jump out of the window because <laughs> she thought <laughs> she could fly. So um, my mum was always getting calls like that about something I'd done. So, yeah. From, from, from the
0: perspective of having now been a mother of young teenage women, do you look back on it and think,
1: Christ, what was I on? Or do you think, oh, no, that's just life, that's just what That's just what happens? I do look back on it and, I, I mean, I remember thinking when I had daughters, I do not want my daughter's teenage years to be like mine. So I made some kind of very definite decisions about how I was going to be with my daughters. Um, because I think in those days, um, ignorance was king, really. Oh, yes. And, you know, my, my mum kind of thought all you had to do is like have one pull on a joint and then suddenly you were in a gutter with a syringe hanging out of your arm. I was going to say, it's, it's an obvious thing to say that faced by the the reality of mental
0: health, some people might run a bloody mile from it. But as we all know, you, you became a psychiatric nurse. Was that because you felt you understood what it was, you wanted to help people, or did it
1: just look like a laugh? Yeah, after I saw one flow over the cuckoo's nest, obviously I wanted to be Nurse Ratchet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think there were several reasons. One was that I wasn't frightened of it, uh, because my mum was a, a, a mental health social worker for quite a long time and we were slightly younger, and we would go to this um, big hospital in Sussex with her called Hellingly, which is a nice name for a psychiatric hospital. And um, was it was it a big red brick, glowering building of a Victorian? Of course, yeah, Victorian. Yeah, lightning absolutely. flashing over the top. <laughs> Indeed, absolutely, yeah. Um, well, there's a brilliant story I know. Do you know? Have you heard of Cane Hill Hospital? No, I haven't. Talk about Cane Hill. Well, Cane Hill is the other side of Croydon. It's in it, it's in massive grounds, and these places um, they're so cut off in a way they virtually become villages, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and no one comes in or out virtually. But there was a story about Cane Hill that in the staff bar um, one evening during the nineteen seventies, a man rode into the bar on a horse and robbed the till and rode out again. <laughs> Which I just thought was such a brilliant story, but it really kind of demonstrates how isolated these places were, that someone thought they could just gallop up the very long drive. And, on the back um, of a horse. On the back of a horse, absolutely. Did you enjoy the... How long, how long did you do the job for? It was quite a while. Um, yeah, I did it, including my training, for 10 years. I absolutely... Excuse me, I'm just going to open the can. It's not beer. I'll go for it. As Paris Hilton says, only fat people drink Diet Coke, and that's what I'm drinking. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Spot on there, Paris. When uh, What year
0: did you do your first gig? I Because I have to say, just for reference, I watched you do your first Friday Night Live. Oh, did um, you? Oh yeah, I, I remember it very, very well. And uh, it's brilliant. What was really striking was that all the materials there, the gags, every single one hit home. Um, and even the the monotone that you've dissed since, saying, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, so I spoke in a monotone, worked. Was was that who you were when you got up and did the first gig? No. The, <laughs> what the was the, that, the
1: The reason I did that was because um, I didn't know how to deliver a comedy line in a relaxed way. So I just did that to try and... Also to try and disguise the fact that I was really nervous... I mean, one thing, two things happened. When I, I've watched that back, but not for years. I have my hands in my pockets and one of my arms is flapping like a chicken because I'm so nervous in my, like this, in my pocket. And um, the other thing was, because it was a live show, someone actually heckled me um, during the show and... It's it was actually timed down to the second. So I realised from it's my first ever telly appearance that if I said if I did a heckle put down, which I normally would do, then that would that would throw my timing out and I'd have to finish halfway through a joke. Okay. So yeah. yeah, so I just sort of went thank you and just kind of moved on and ignored it. But it was so exciting, you know. I remember um, Mark Thomas was on, and I heard him doing a fantastic negotiation as I walked past his dressing room. And one of the producers was saying to him, if you take out a wanker, you can have two toffee bollocks. And I always remember that. <laughs> that was a lot sort of negotiation that goes on. Was it your own drug?
0: I mean, did you do that and think, oh, God, no, I've got to keep doing this?
1: Yeah. The, the sort of freedom that it gives you, and um, I loved, you know, it was just kind of the perfect job, really. And I loved comics as well. I couldn't, kind of for a long time, couldn't quite believe I was working with all these people that I just thought were brilliant.
0: The obvious thing to talk about is, is I don't know whether it's defence or whatever, but size, weight, who you are, what you look like became the, the subject of your material. Was that yeah. simply because you talk about the thing that's most obvious and in your
1: face? Well, I suppose I I did a few gigs where I didn't do any weight stuff and I noticed that other other people had noticed it. And the thing about hecklers is they're not particularly subtle. Um, they just go for the first thing about you. So if you're fat, if you're bald, if you've got glasses on, you know, if you're pretty, if you're ugly, whatever it might be, and so I kind of started to realise that that I wanted to, I had to acknowledge it somehow, um, and I wanted to acknowledge it in a funnier way than they heckled it at me. So that's what I tried to do. Uh, this is a reverse of the question, but do you
0: remember any really good heckles? There's someone who went, you're slightly thrown off because it's actually funny. Um. You're looking to the middle distance as
1: though actually, no,
0: that's never happened.
1: No, that's no, that's I, I used there were some great heckles, I, I tend to remember the appalling ones more, but um, <laughs> you know, I've I like I think if someone does a great heckle, you should acknowledge it. You know, you don't try and top it if the audience really laughs at it and think it's funny, either move on or, you know, acknowledge it in some way, but don't try and kind of put them down about it because because it's a great heckle and you don't hear them very often.
0: No.
1: I mean, I used to like sweet heckles. I remember one I got up in Leeds and I, my trousers were a bit short. I don't know why. I think they'd shrunk in the wash or something. And someone shouted out, why don't you put your, some jam on your shoes and invite your trousers to tea? Which... <laughs> I really thought it was, like, really, really sweet and they absolutely loved that. You created this persona on stage and
0: assumptions were made about you by the press, by the media, um, and then you also had your life, where you got married, met a bloke, had kids.
1: They all found that baffling, didn't they? They did. It was hilarious, really. I mean, when when um, when the press found out that... Well, they they pursued me and Bernie, my husband, before we got married for a bit, and um, you know they were charming. I mean, I remember the mail once papped us both um, in different places, and underneath Bernie's photo it said twelve stone and softly spoken, <laughs> and underneath underneath mine it said sixteen stone loud mouth. And I was like, Obviously, my mum's going to be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> of this you know so there was they didn't they didn't spare me anything at all um but the other thing they did which i also thought was hilarious they approached particularly the sun approached comedians that they assumed would be my friends because obviously and, and you all a,
0: love each other yeah.
1: yeah yeah but obviously i was a raving lesbian and yeah. so they approached people that they thought would know me quite well so they phoned up Paul O'Grady. and asked him to confirm that I was a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know Paul at all? Um, Yeah, I did know him. I knew him a bit, yeah. And a couple of other people that I hardly knew, you know. It was ridiculous, really. I
0: was kind of hoping that he would say that, you know, Lily Savage had had a a rampant affair with you, but he hadn't.
1: Um <laughs> Yeah, I know. Or well, Paul just went, Oh dunno, you better fucking ask her, you know, or something like that. He wasn't exactly forthcoming. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like is Sarah Paulson
0: a diet coke or a regular Coke girl? <laughs> Some peasant coke? No.
1: also from something else how did we get here
0: with Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron in these in-depth one-on-one therapy sessions we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional
1: revelations a passionate insightful and moving experience with clear outcomes to each episode he is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him Oh, wow. Oh, wow, that's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so... Oh, God.
0: It's... Do you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along? Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. Did you have to kind of... I, mean, I don't want to intrude on your relationship, but was there a point where you felt the need to say to Bernie... There is a bit of stuff which comes with being around me, or had he clocked that very early on?
1: I think he'd, I think he'd worked that out quite well for himself, really. Yeah, I mean, let's say he didn't want to get married to a comedian so he could go to the Baftas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, as you dropped that in, had uh, had the bigger writing, and I, I mean, bigger as in involving other people rather than yourself, um, and you've done. A bunch of them getting on, obviously, which was you as a as a nurse drawing on that, and then damned, which was the set in the social work
1: office. Yeah, Had that always been ambition, or did someone come to you and say, "Do you fancy doing this"? Someone came to me and said, "Do you fancy doing this?" I think at the time, actually, at the time with getting on, um, Vicky Pepperdine lived next door to my best friend, and I I kind of knew vaguely who she was. And I think we we just kind of ended up sort of having, you know, coffee sometime all together. And um, it went all the way to getting you a BAFTA. Was that validation in any way or was it just a nice night out? Well, it wasn't a nice night out because I hate those sort of events. And it's because I hate dressing up and being judged and looked at. And I think if I weighed three and a half stone, I probably would. And I was eight foot tall. I wouldn't mind. If you're a fat person and you arrive at something because you haven't got something sort of very sleek and slinky and revealing on and you haven't because you're a fat person, um, then they just don't like that, you know. So um, people were horrible about what I look like and I I wasn't that bothered about that, but... It doesn't exactly make for a comfortable night out, you know. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Which is
0: more challenging to you, stand-up or acting, or is it? Or are they different?
1: Oh, they're totally different. I, I, I don't like acting at all, and I, and I don't really think I can act, and I think I do that the end of the spectrum, which is be yourself and try not to look embarrassing acting. I can't do any more than that. I couldn't cry, for example. When you've done those
0: shows... Are you feeling slightly, I don't want to use the F word, but fuck it, I will, a fraud for being there? Is there an imposter syndrome going on? Or are you thinking, no, I know what this is because it's, it's it's finely defined and I'm drawing on a, a well of experience I've actually had?
1: Yeah, exactly, which is why I always have to write stuff about things I've done. Because <laughs> I don't know, like, you know, I couldn't write stuff about being like a wing walker in the 1920s or, uh, you know. i paid good money for that. Yeah, well, I think the insurance would be massive on that one, wouldn't it?
0: If you're one of those people who spends hours in the kitchen knocking out culinary masterpieces, you'll want to be properly dressed for it. I know I do. Or perhaps you just want to convince your friends you're that sort of person without going to all the trouble of actually cooking. Well, now you can. How, you ask? By wearing the terrific, official Logotastic Out to Lunch apron, of course, in gorgeous, durable denim. It's so good, you'll want to go out in it. And if you do go out, let's face it, it's tough out there. So take your favourite podcast with you in the sturdy Out to Lunch travel cup, the perfect receptacle for your hot beverage of choice. See, not only will our lunch lubricated chats warm your ears, we'll also warm the rest of you. And when you get home and you've washed your Out to Lunch travel cup, try it with the Out to Lunch tea towel, so soft you'll be snuggling up with it at bedtime. To see the range of merch and catch them all, head to outtolunch.backstreetmerch.com That's outtolunch, all one word, backstreetmerch, all one word, com. Want to spend even more time with me? The paperback of my latest book, My Last Supper, is out now. Join me as I explore the landscape of our last meals on Earth, available from all good bookshops and a few bad ones too. But for now, let's go back out to lunch. How are you getting through your chips? Because I have an enormous bag and I'm almost at that disappointing point where I think I'm going to have to stop.
1: Yeah, I'm at that point where they've, they've gone a bit cold, but they're still lovely. Well, that's not,
0: that's not necessarily a bar for anything. <laughs> no, is it? I, mean, then, I know. One of the things you're very well known for, and I've been the beneficiary of this, as it has to be said, is you turn out for more benefits, charity gigs, than almost anyone on the circuit. You do a lot of it. And I do. You do do a lot of it. I mean, it's it's not overstating it, is it? Is, is it? Are you just are you just a Joe who can't say no? Is it? Or when these things come along, does it make you feel better about the enormous sums of money you've earned elsewhere? What is it?
1: Well, I think it's 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 probably a bit of what you've already mentioned, but it's also to do with the fact that I think, you know, I. I know what it's like to earn absolutely nothing and to have a kind of a life where you have to kind of worry about food or fags you know not that you'd know that to look at me but um and I just feel i'm really privileged to do to do this job and to live in a really lovely house and to you know to have enough money and so I've, i' I want to kind of Give stuff back. But I also noticed that a lot of comics, they, they, stick, to, um, they stick to sort of three charities and, and don't work for anyone else, so they can kind of concentrate on them. I, I'm the opposite of that. I just try and say yes to everybody once. And I couldn't keep that up or I wouldn't actually do anything else. But if I can do it, I'll, I'll do it, you know. The curious thing is, from being definitely part of that radical
0: group right at the beginning there is a phrase that's used about you and whether you like it or not you've become you know national treasure you become part of the the establishment is that do you recognize that or do you try and ignore that or do you quite like it
1: Mm, I don't know um I think I'd probably try and ignore it to be honest and every now and then and honestly it's not deliberate I end up doing things that Make me not a national treasure and annoy people, but I, I maybe unconsciously I'm doing that to make sure my national treasure status is threatened from time to time. But well, every now know. and then
0: you will do something or say something just to be oh, oh, the famous one. You know what? Go on then. Yeah, the throwing milkshakes at Nigel Farage and you suggested battery acid, and the world went mad. Yeah. And I found that one a bit full on. Was, was
1: that more than you would have liked? Well, I've, 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 I've sort of been in, in kind of similar situations before, but I would say with that one, it was so obviously a joke and I really felt that um, the, the, the people that kind of carried it through and made a great big hoo-ha of it, were being disingenuous because they knew it was a joke as well, but they chose to ignore that fact. Um, Yeah, for the record, you weren't genuinely
0: urging people to throw battery acid on Nigel Farage. Well, of
1: course, I mean, of course I wasn't. And I didn't actually read much of the press about it because it was so unbearable. But I understand that in some newspapers, there were actually photos of me juxtaposed with um, victims of acid attacks with the implication being that I had actually encouraged people to do that. And that made me feel absolutely awful, really terrible. Um, So, yeah, I would quite happily have body swerved that few months of my life, to be honest, yeah. Um, But does that mean, I mean, as you
0: say, the way way to avoid national treasure is is to sometimes get in people's face a little bit. Do you think that experience is going to moderate... um,
1: Any of that? Well, I think the thing is, I'm quite, I'm quite an adolescent, really. Ask my husband, and I do kind of like to be quite childish and cause a bit of trouble. And I think I'm a Republican, um, so I think you know, anyone um, as in,
0: as in, somebody who believes in the abolishment of the monarchy.
1: That's right. Not as Again, in yeah. Uh, not,
0: not as in a, a member of the Republican Party of the United States of America. Let's just be absolutely clear. Which should but be fun. So am I for what? For as it happens.
1: So that's prevented us both being national <laughs> treasures there.
0: <laughs> I, I'm
1: going to quote another one of my mother's Claire's line,
0: which was on Princess Diana. We'll see if this makes the cut. She once said, Princess Diana has been defined by two penises the one that went into her and the one that came out again.
1: <laughs> oh, good lord, good honour. I mean, I actually, I actually met her once, which was bizarre. Ah. Yeah. What uh, were you
0: hanging out at Le Caprice
1: or something? I was waiting outside the palace with my little flag. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was actually on the Clive James show. I arrived there and one of the researchers said to me, we've got someone really important coming today, but I can't tell you who it is. And I went, oh, for God's sake, who is it? And he meant, oh, Princess Diana. So she came back uh, after the show and um, Stephen Fry was there as well. And I was on the show and I did some material about food and products in different uh, languages that sound rude in R in English. So... For example, a friend of mine sent me some chewing gum from Germany called Spunk. And um, I did a joke about it. I don't know why they let me do this on a sort of live entertainment show, but they did. uh, Where I said, it's a very good name for it because it reminds you not to swallow it. And um, (laughs) so she said to me afterwards, I thought that joke was really funny. And I was kind of like quite surprised, really. You know, because you tend to think that people like cats are sort of a wheeled around on a trolley, yeah. and, you know, and don't, parroting don't phrases. And,
0: uh, and, so, and, and, and don't have purchase on semen gags. And don't have purchase on spit or swallow semen gags.
1: Absolutely.
0: But I think you've just given the whole nation there a massive insight into Diana, and thank you. Um, well,
1: she's cheeky,
0: you know. Yeah. Um, one of the other things, you know, I go through notes and look at old interviews, and um, you've talked about missing smoking. Yeah, um, I used to be a smoker.
1: I really do miss it. So do I. Do you I, ever I, I, have I, I, one?
0: Well, um, we we have a a twenty year old who we had to rescue from university as the current events happened, um, and he's he's rolling them now as all the young people. Oh, do. okay. He's got, Christ, have you seen the price of of. Fags.
1: I have. Um, They're about forty quid for ten. Realize, aren't it's, they? it's staggering. <laughs> how do you <laughs> afford? To, how do you afford to
0: So all, all the young people. He doesn't smoke very much at all, but occasionally he rolls one for me, and it's just it's not quite the memory. Um, but it is. Is that, is that your
1: drug of choice, rollies Then is that what you prefer? Because I, I don't. N- no. I like- I d- no, I'd um, like a real
0: I'd like a, yeah. a Marlboro Light. If they want to sponsor the podcast, that's probably the moment I'll get them in. Now, I'd like a, you know, an old-fashioned Marlboro Light like I used to smoke in and I haven't for years. I was one of those lucky people who was able to kind of slow down and then stop.
1: Rather yeah. Than
0: anything else. But I do miss it.
1: Oh god, will I will I allow myself? I've got certain very <laughs> inexplicable rules that allow me to smoke at certain times. So I'm allowed to smoke when I'm in another country, (laughs) (laughs) which is is one. And I'm allowed to smoke if I'm doing a theatre job as well. So um, I did Panto last year, so I smoked um, when I did Panto. But I didn't let myself have more than two a day, or sometimes I had three, actually, more than three a day. But, oh, my God. Goodness uh, God! It was wonderful. I mean, even
0: allowing for the for the, the current lockdown, have you been calling your agent saying, "Get me a Panto gig. I need a five
1: <laughs> Exactly. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I've often thought I've got I've got some in my bag, and I've often thought, "Oh, I'm going to have one now in the garden if one's out," and I never have because that would be breaking my own rule, and that would be oh, a really? slippery slope, and it would be why we must go for coffee sometime, and we're allowed to have five. Okay, let's do that. I'll bring the bags. I'll bring them. You buy the
0: coffees. All right. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you, Joe. Finally, we managed to make this work. But I I think you and me sharing fish and chips from Ken's is sort of what life is made for, don't you?
1: Oh, it's been lovely. It was so nice to actually see Ken as well. One of the Ken's, anyway. (laughs) One of the
0: Ken's. All that remains for me to say is, Joe Brown, thank you for staying in for lunch with me. I'll be holding Jo to that promise of a coffee and a fag. Always a joy to chat to her. And what a hilarious lunch. And that lunch came from Ken's Fish Bar on Half Moon Lane between Herne Hill and Dulwich. Their chips are simply the best in South London and I'll wrestle anyone who argues with me. Um, don't forget to do the things, you know what I'm talking about. Review us, share us, feed us. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs with editing from Jemima Rathbone. The producer is Selena Ream, the executive producer is Darby Doris and additional production came from Steve Ackerman. Next time, I'm out for an Italian and an awful lot of laughs with the Grand Tour and ex Top Gear presenter turned cookery book writer, James May. Only really person I'm ever going to punch if it happens it will be Clarkson. So, you know, <laughs> have a nice circularity to it.